Well, it is so good to see all of y'all today. I know we got guests here, and if you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. You're always welcome to what we have going on. I, I really want to welcome you to come next Friday night. It's Worship Under the Stars. Worship Under the Stars is like one of the coolest events we do. It's, it's the thing all year. We really look forward to it. It's going to be on a Friday at 7. Out there on the lawn, you've got to, you've got to bring some chairs with you if you want, because uh, otherwise you're on the ground. Bring jackets, because it's, it's, it's like cold. And uh, it's a worship event, and it's really a good event. And then next Sunday is Epic Sunday. It's when we have our big um, barbecue that we have out here. And uh, in doing that, you know, you don't have to bring anything. You don't have to bring a single thing. It's all taken care of. Your guests just show up. Now, here's the thing. You come at 945, you think, well, maybe I'll just come to the 11 because it's close to the barbecue. You can't, you can't do that. <laughs> if you all show up at the 11, then the 11's like it's already full. So the 1215 service is canceled. They're going to go to the 11. So what you got to do is just you can hang or you go home and change just some really casual clothes, which some of you already do. So that's not a problem. But just come back, though, and we love, we love to have you. It's just, it's just a really great experience, and we'll think you'll have a, a, a good time doing all of that. Um, we're in a series entitled Being Human, Being Me. And uh, in this series, we kind of started it a couple weeks ago. And we talked about being created in the image of God, that we're created in his image. That's how he made us. And uh, then we saw that last week, that being human is no excuse for sin. You know, you can't say, well, you know, the reason I sin is because I'm human. It's, it's no excuse for the sin of our life. And today we kind of shift gears a little bit and we come to something, uh, a sermon just called In Common. Now, that's the, that's the name of the sermon. It's taken from Acts chapter 10. And, uh, what I, I, you know, there are certain things all humans have in common. I get it. But the real question that I want to ask and answer is uh, simply this. Is there a fundamental spiritual need that all humans have in common? It's not just that we have things in common. Is there a fundamental spiritual need that all of us have in common? And so I'm going to begin today just talking about the first point I want to make is that not everyone deserves Jesus. I mean, that's kind of... It's kind of the way you think sometimes, isn't it? I mean, have you ever just kind of thought that? I mean, have you ever just kind of thought, ah, I don't think everyone deserves Jesus. I mean, maybe. And one of the things I always, always am concerned about as a pastor, and I was thinking about this this Wednesday when I was just, you know, working on the sermon, getting all the things kind of figured out what I was going to do, is I was wondering, does anyone ever come to our church? Has anyone ever come to any church I've ever pastored and just felt like they weren't welcome? Like... They came and, like, say they're a person, maybe they don't know Jesus, and they came looking for something in their life, looking for something. Did they ever come and say, yeah, I don't think that church wants me there. I just don't think they want me to be there. And you say, well, that's not going to happen. But yet, firstly, I get a call from one of my closest friends. And, you know, they're a wonderful Christian, godly Christian woman and husband, and uh, they're moving to a new place, kind of, and they're looking for a church close to their home. And they went to the church, church that I, I've even recommended, a church I knew about a little bit. And, uh, and they said, you know, she said, Dave, we went to that church. And, and they made it seem like they didn't want us there. They treated us like we were nobodies. They treated us like they didn't want us. You've got to be kidding me. Can you imagine had that been a person that didn't know Jesus? Can you imagine a person not knowing Jesus, walking into a church at the bottom of the road? I mean, they don't know where else to turn. And they go to a church thinking I can find something there, and the people make them feel like they're not wanted? Well, it could happen. It could happen in our lives. And it brings about kind of the fundamental question, I guess. 
which is this. Who did Jesus come to save? You ever thought about that? Who did Jesus come to save? We'll say, well, he came to save everybody, but do you really think that? Come on. Isn't there one person at least you think, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think Jesus should save them. Or maybe there's that group of people that kind of come to mind, you know, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't think those people should be saved. I don't think Jesus came to save people like him or her or them. And in our minds, sometimes we get it that not everybody deserves Jesus. Not everybody deserves Jesus. Acts is a wonderful book. I think it's, I, I appreciate it a lot because I think the church, we can, we can identify with what happens in Acts. It's kind of our experience 2,000 years ago to some degree. And I preached them, you know, the first two chapters in Acts in June and July of summer. And then, you know, uh, right now on Wednesday nights in Grow, I'm teaching through Acts, you know. And uh, September, I brought a message, and I'm going to bring a message now. And when you come to Acts, you just, you've always got to reference everything in light of Acts 1.8. In Acts 1.8, we're told that... Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to get his power. And then you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to start off in Jerusalem. Then you go to Judea and Samaria, and you go to the ends of the earth. And I'm always kind of wondering, where is the end of the earth, and when do they start, and when do they finish, you know? How does that happen? And Acts kind of tells us a little bit. In chapter 9 of Acts, this guy named Paul gets saved. And Paul's going to end up being the apostle, the, the guy who goes to all the Gentiles. I mean, he's going to open it up. But sometimes we think maybe that's when it all started. But Gentiles were coming to Jesus before Paul. In fact, in chapter 8, there was a, a guy from Ethiopia that came to Jesus through the work of a guy named Philip the Evangelist. I mean, that's, that's who bred him. You know, and, and we're going to come to a place today where Peter, and, and if you come to Acts, the first part of Acts focuses on Peter. The second part kind of focuses on Paul. But there's that kind of transition to kind of get him there. And we're coming to Peter. And, and Peter's going to do something. And, and listen, You've got to remember, Peter's the man. I mean, he's the guy. He, early in the life of the church, he's the one they all look to. I mean, he, he, he leads that thing early on. And he has the authenticity and authority that comes from Jesus. In chapter 10, verse 1, we see this. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. And he made many charitable contributions to the Jewish people. And he prayed to God, like, all the time, continually. Now, Caesarea, there's a couple of Caesareas and we see in Scripture. This one is on the Mediterranean coast, and it's up kind of on the northeast side of it. And uh, it's up kind of just out of Palestine. And Caesarea is important. Because it was like the capital city of that whole area. That's really where the governor, the governor didn't reside in Jerusalem. He just came to Jerusalem. The Roman governor resided mostly in Caesarea. And it was an influential city. And as such, it had a pretty important group of guys kind of protecting or guarding that city called the Italian cohort. A cohort was a group of about 600 Roman soldiers. And, uh, and uh, in that cohort, there'd be six groups of 100, and they'd have a centurion over them. Now, centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. They really were. They, they, you know, a lot of the, I don't know, I'm not a military person, and, but it's, it's what I've been told is the equivalent kind of a captain. You know, and some of the guys, 
A lot of, in the Roman army, ranked higher than him. A lot of them were just appointed because they had money and they bought the position and they didn't know anything. A lot of the guys lower, you know, that they, that they oversaw, they were just, you know, sometimes brutish, you know, thugs sometimes. And so the centurion kind of kept it all together. He had to be smart. He had to be a leader. He had to know when to use violence and when not to, when he could use diplomacy. And interesting enough, in the New Testament, every time you see a centurion, the centurion is spoken of favorably in the New Testament. They're spoken of favorably in the New Testament. And this guy, his name was Cornelius. And we're told this. He was a guy who feared God. That means he worshiped God. It says he was devout. It means he was deeply committed to God. But he was a Gentile. And in the Jewish world, Gentiles can only go so far. You know, they could come only so far. And if you really wanted to be a proselyte, a full, as close as you could get, you get circumcised, you find all the, all the dietary laws, you do all of that, but you still couldn't come like into the most holy, the holiest place in the temple where the Jews could go anyways and, and to worship. Some of the synagogues wouldn't allow you in. A few might let you in. He wasn't that far, but he was later on called a god fear. In other words, he just worshiped God. He rejected his pagan gods and goddesses. He rejected, rejected the pagan lifestyle, but he just, he wanted to worship God. But here's the thing. He couldn't have any real connection to the Jews because despite that he was generous and they liked him individually, they despised Gentiles as a whole and Gentiles could never really have fellowship or relationships with, with Jews. And this guy was having a dream and he was told by the Lord in his dream, I want you to go down to Joppa. He would send some guys to Joppa. Joppa was about 30 miles down the, down the coast. And there's a guy there named Simon. He's a tanner. He has a place. And at his place, there's another guy also named Simon, but he's known as Peter. And I want you to tell Peter to come to your house. You've you got to understand what he's saying. He's telling the Gentile, you've got to go get this Jew and tell this Jew to come to your place. And, and Jews didn't do that. Jews didn't associate with Gentiles, and part of the reason is that Jews looked at Gentiles as being unclean. Now, we have a God who is holy, and God being holy means separate and complete unto himself, and that which is unholy, that which is common, that which is plain, can't come into the presence of God. Now, the Jews looked at themselves as they were God's people. They were set aside. They were holy, and they did certain things to mark that, and one of the things they did to mark that is the way they ate. They had... They can only eat certain types of foods. Gentiles ate every type of food, and a lot of the food that Gentiles ate was unclean. And you should understand this. For instance, Jews, Jews would not eat pork. They couldn't have pig. Can you imagine? I'm, I mean, I'm from Texas, and some of you from Texas in the South. Can you imagine going through life, you can't have bacon or ham? How, I wouldn't know. How do you make pinto beans without ham or ham hock? You can't do that. They couldn't have catfish. Can you imagine never having... Never, like, my, I, you go get catfish, you want it fried, grilled, or black. Well, you want it fried, but if you're on a diet, you settle for grilled or black, but you're having catfish and shrimp and grits. You can't have shrimp and grits. And you know what you can never, ever have that's absolutely forbidden? The one food that will send you straight to hell is bacon-wrapped shrimp. You can't have that at all. <laughs> but not being hell so many times over, it's been your head. Can you imagine, though, you're in the church, and you're a Gentile, and you've left everything behind. And the church is mostly Jewish. Even in the, even in the European world, it's still mostly Jewish. That you hadn't reached Gentiles because they don't really care for Gentiles. But you're a lone, rare exception. And you, you leave paganism, and you leave everything behind to follow Jesus. And your family cuts you off. And you come to the church, and the church says, well, we're glad you come to Jesus. But we're still Jewish, and you can't have anything to do with us. 
at all. Nothing. Peter was at Joppa, and he was up on the roof, and he kind of had a vision from God. It was noontime. He's hungry. There's a sheet over his head. You ever been kind of that half asleep, and you start thinking about your dream world and the reality kind of slip into together? And that's what happened. And on that sheet, he saw some things he wasn't supposed to eat. In verse 13, this is what happened. A voice came to him and says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter, all that stuff you can't ever have, you can have now. That's a glorious day, isn't it? Hallelujah, we can have pork chops and we can have catfish and shrimp. And I think there's a whole bunch of other things, but I just care about, I don't care about the other food. It's just that. He said, you can have all that. Peter said, by no means, Lord, that's emphatic. I have never eaten anything that's unholy and unclean. That word unholy means to be common or profane. It means somehow that it, it, it was despised, really. It, it was something that somehow was become dirty. The word un, unclean means to be impure and not usable for worship. And so together, they make a strong argument that, that the food that he was talking about, they could not have that and then be right before God. Even as a, a Gentile, I mean, as a Christian, he thought that. He said, God, I, I, I've, never, I'm def- I've never done that. Verse 15, again, a voice came a second time and said this, what God is clean, cleansed, no longer consider unholy. He said, Peter, Peter, I've cleansed that stuff. It's not unholy anymore. You don't get to consider that food that way anymore. You know, that's, that's a great thing. I'm amazed. You know, there are, I've run across Christians who, who follow the Jewish dietary laws and say, well, that's what's in the Old Testament. I follow that. And I'm like... Man, do you ever, like, read the New Testament at all? Have you ever opened that book up and maybe Acts chapter 10 where God says it ain't unclean anymore? Have you ever tried that? And then I say, here, have a piece of bacon. Get over it. Get on with life. <laughs> they get all huffy and puffy. Like, you're not a real Christian. I'm like, yeah, I'm a smart Christian. Verse 16 says this. It happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up in the sky. So it's happened three times. So this is obvious what's happening. About that time, about that time, the guys from Joppa show up, and they get Peter. And Peter, Peter takes some of his friends, and they're, they're, they're going. They're heading on up to see Cornelius. And in verse 25, an amazing thing happens. In verse 25, he goes into the home of Cornelius. A Jew goes into the home of this Gentile. He's a Jewish Christian, I get it. But he goes into the home of this guy that's unclean, and verse 28 says this. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or or visit a foreigner. The word associate means have a relationship. Can't do it. And yet God has shown me that I am not to call any person unholy or unclean. Well, God had showed him that food was unholy and unclean was now cleansed. But Peter understood that and he spun that around and said that the food can be clean, then the people who eat the food can be clean. And all of a sudden it dawned on Peter, there's no one in the eyes of God that's to be considered unholy or unclean. Can't do that anymore. Now, Peter, Peter's not un- recognized as saying there's no distinctions between people. Of course there's distinctions. There are things that people do that I can't do and shouldn't do because it's still a sin. He's not saying that. Nor is he saying, like some people wrongly suppose, that all roads get you to heaven. He's not saying that at all either. But what he's saying is that when it comes to the value of an individual, when it comes to the worth of a person, you can't make distinctions anymore. In verse 29, this is what happens. This is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. 
So I ask, for what reason did you send for me? Why did you call me over here? What is it you want from me? And Cornelius began to tell him about the vision that he had. And Cornelius had in his home. It wasn't just him. It says his whole household were believers. But he invited his friends, all the family he had. There was a whole bunch of Gentiles in that house. In verse 34, Peter says this. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't favor one person or another, over another. He doesn't favor one culture over another. Paul would go on to say there is no difference between Jew or Gentile, man or woman, slave or free when it comes to their value before God. But he said this, now, every nation, the word nation is people group, not country. Don't think country. Think people group. Every people group who fears him, every person who fears him, that's worship him, and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, he's not talking about, you know, work salvation. You do the right things. No. What is right in the eyes of God. And then he, after that, he explains the gospel. He begins to tell them what is right in the eyes of God. And in verse 43... Here's what it says. He concludes it with this. All the prophets testify of him, that is Jesus, that through his name, that is his character, his personhood, everyone who believes in him, has faith, trust in him, receives or obtains forgiveness of sins. In other words, any person who trusts in Jesus, any person who believes in him, who gives their life to him, any person who does that is forgiven, and as forgiven, they are saved. Then it says that while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. The Holy Spirit came. They were saying the word listening doesn't just mean like, like some of y'all, you're just sitting there killing time till it's over. It means, the word listening means they become engaged and they accept what was saying. And here Peter lays out two fundamental principles that are so important. Any person can come to God but they can only come to God his way. Listen, anyone can come to God. That's so true. Do you believe anybody can come to God? Do you really believe that anybody can come to God? But they can only come his way. His way is Jesus. All the Jewish believers that came with Peter were shocked. They were amazed. And they saw what was happening to these people, and they said, well, what? Peter, what's keeping, what's keeping them from being baptized? Because when you become a follower of Jesus, you become baptized. It's like nothing. And they baptized. And all the barriers were broken down. All those barriers were broken down. And people could come to Jesus. Anyone can come to Jesus. Because no one deserves to come to Jesus. No one deserves Jesus, but anyone can come to Jesus. Which brings me to the second thing I want to share with you. Being human, being in trouble. Because humans, we're in trouble. I wonder, for those of you that are already Christians, followers of Christ, is there anyone in your life who's like Cornelius? Is there any Cornelius in your life? You know, maybe it's the... The person you don't really want to hang with or associate with. 
the type of person you think really doesn't need Jesus at all. Maybe it's the type of person, you, you know, they know a lot, but they don't know what's right, and, and trying to get through to them is tough. I get that. I do. A few, I don't know how long ago, I was asked to go talk to this guy who probably was, who was dying. I don't even know if he's dead. You know, the family said, preacher, maybe you could go talk to him. And I, and I, I get asked that from time to time. You know, a person spent their life rejecting Jesus, and their loved ones want one last-ditch effort. They think, I can come in and somehow... I can, you know, do something to help them come to Christ. And, you know, I'm going to tell them, yeah, I'll, I tell them I'll come, but what I want to say, it ain't going to happen. That doesn't work that way. But, you know, you never know. God can do anything. And so I go, and, you know, this, this guy, he knows stuff, and he believes this or that, but he doesn't care. And I'm thinking, God, how do, how do I connect with this guy? And I'm realizing I, I really can't. And I really can't really connect to him because I don't have a relationship because he's not my Cornelius. He was somebody else's Cornelius. He was the people that were involved in his life. It was them. You're the ones that God gave me Jesus. That's the way it is in your life sometimes. I mean, listen, we're, we're in a horrible situation. Sin has destroyed our relationship to God. And we keep trying to find ways to get to God, and we can't because you and I can't make it up. I mean, we, we hear all the time, you know, I hear people say, even within the Christian community, and I use the word Christian in the broadest possible sense. That's why I use the term follower of Jesus or believer in Jesus most of the time, because I think there are a lot of people who are Christians who are not followers of Jesus, if you get my truth. And they'll say, well, you know, I think we've got to accept that, you know, as long as the person is sincere, or all these different ways lead to God or all the, listen, they didn't think that way in the New Testament. Jesus didn't think that way. Jesus said, there are people who are lost. The lost is a really good term. We don't use it a lot, but lost is a good term. Debbie, Debbie and I take a lot of trips. I remember one time we were in, we were in a, this major city. I don't want to mention it because some of you are from there, and I don't want to insult you at this point in the sermon. I'd have done it earlier, but now it's too late. And we, and we were going somewhere, and we weren't there. We were in a really bad part of town, and, and Debbie had a way of just getting straight to the point. She says, you're lost. I said, baby, I ain't lost. I know where I'm at. She goes, really? I said, yeah, we're, and I said, we're here. That's where we're, I know where we're at, and I know where we want to be, so I'm not lost. See, we think being lost is, you don't know, is, is that you don't know where you're at or you don't know where you're going. No, I knew where I was at, and I knew where I was going. Here was the problem. I wasn't where I wanted to be, and I didn't know how to get there. Now, I didn't tell her that because she didn't use that phraseology, and me being a band of precision, if you're not going to use the right lingo, I'm not going to concede I was lost. So I've never, ever, ever conceded that point to her, and, I, you know, I wasn't lost. Because she didn't ask her, oh, but I was lost. And all around you, there are people, they know where there are, but where there are, and where they're at ain't supposed to be the place. And they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to get there. You know what Jesus said? This is so cool. He said, I came to seek and save everyone who's lost. He didn't say, I came to seek and save everyone who's lost except those who don't deserve me. Because nobody deserves him. I came to seek them all. He was going to say at some point in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. There's no other way to get to God. I mean, we need to get to God. We can't get there. 
We can't make it up on our own. You see, I'm lost because I'm not where I'm supposed to be and I don't have a way to get where I'm supposed to be. Understand this, to be human is to be separated from God because of our rebellion against God. We can't do anything to fix that. We're separated from God. We've rebelled against God. Well, what can I do to fix it? You can't do nothing ever to fix that. And here's the thing. We need to recognize. I talked earlier, again, about, you know, basic spiritual need. Understand this. All humans have a spiritual need in common. It's the need for Jesus. We all need Jesus. All of us. Everyone needs him. No one is excluded from that. But here's also a thing to remember that as a follower of Jesus, we have something in common. We have the message to meet the need. You see, for all those people out there that are Cornelius, we have the message that Peter had. And we got to go into their home, and we got to go into their world, and we got to go into their life because being human means they're in trouble. They're lost, and they can't fix it. And if we say, hey, I don't really like that guy. I don't really care for that woman. I don't like those types. Those aren't my people. How are they going to know? Your biases and hostilities and animosities and prejudices and disgusts and hatreds have to go and they have to go now. And you can say, well, I don't really have any of those. Oh, yeah, you do. Because you're human. And you have them. Maybe just one. Maybe just towards one person. Just towards Cornelius. And you have it. And I know, I know, we don't want to be messing around with sin we're worried about, well, you know, that's a sin, or that person's life is a sin. They're living in sin. It's a sin. Listen, I get it. I know. Remember last, if you heard last week at the end of chapter 1 of Romans, a whole bunch, all those sins that Paul listed, all of them. Remember the comment is that all of you know that at least one of those things applied to you. So I don't know how to tell you this. You already have been infected by sin. You've just been forgiven. Listen, we can be against sin but we can't be against people trapped in sin. It's okay to be against sin. It's not okay to be against people trapped in sin. And therein lies the problem. You see, we don't get to determine who's saved. The Jews kind of thought that way before Jesus even. Who, who gets to come to God? They thought, they knew. And then even the Jewish Christians think, we don't really think the Gentiles should be saved. We don't, we don't get to determine that. Jesus determines that. And so we come to the person in life who's our Cornelius, and they need Jesus. We've got to figure out how to get that to them. And I wonder sometimes how many people have walked into this church who really need Jesus, who really need Jesus. And they've walked away thinking, those people really don't want me here. Those people really don't want me here. And then I think, how many people have walked into my life who need Jesus? Who need me? 
No, I'm not talking about, oh, I'd like to have lunch with you. Or I'd just like to get to know you better. And I ain't talking about that. I mean, you need Jesus. And they've walked into my life. And they walk away thinking, that guy, David, doesn't really want me here. Which means he back to the question I guess we have to ask and answer. Who did Jesus come to save? Who did he come to save? So, in your life, how do you answer that question? Who is your Cornelius? That person who's the outsider. That person you don't want anything to do with. That person who needs the message that you have. Who is it for you? Begin the message by saying and asking the question, is there a fundamental spiritual need we all have in common? Yes, we all need Jesus. And we don't get to determine who gets Jesus. We just get to determine who we tell. We have to tell the Corneliuses in our life. And maybe you are Cornelius. You're here and you're the one who's Cornelius because you don't know Christ. I don't care. Well, I'm a good person. Well, so is Cornelius. When I give a lot of money to great causes, so do Cornelius. And I have all these things and people like me, so does Cornelius, but he didn't have Jesus. And today, you're in this place. And you're hearing the story of Jesus. And you need to trust him with your life. You need to give your life to Christ. And some of you who are followers of Jesus, well, when are you going to the home of Cornelius? When are you going to walk into his place and share Jesus with him or her? Whoever it may be. I'm going to be here. A couple others will be here. There'll be a lady or two up here also, because sometimes women prefer to talk to women. If you want to give your life to Christ, we'll talk to you. If you want to come and say, hey, David, pray with me, because I got some people, you know, I got a Cornelius or two. I need to, I got to figure it out. I'll pray with you. If you got this problems in your life, we'll pray. If you want to join our church, you can do that. Listen, you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to go about your business. Before you do, you remember. You remember that there's a Cornelius in your life. And while no one deserves Jesus, that's exactly who Jesus came for. The person who doesn't deserve him. So, Father, we just thank you that we could come and worship. We had some great singing and music and worship. That was wonderful. Father, we have great friends here and just we can be with and talk to. We got that. What we need, Lord, is Jesus. We need, we need him, and people need him. So how do we get Jesus to people? How do we get Jesus to the life of people? Help us to do that. Help us to help people come to Jesus. And right now, Father, to the person who needs Christ, to the Cornelius that's here right now, who needs to receive Jesus, you work in their life, and you help them. Because while no one deserves Jesus, Father, all of us can come to Jesus. Amen. You stand, and you come.